Joining me this evening in the studios are politics panel, Tim Etherington, Sean Conway, and guest Stephen Wright. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for coming. Now, you're going to say, and where are the females? And I'm going to answer. Uh, Lauren Hunter is at a conference and could not join us. We searched around for someone else, couldn't find a place, but we said, all right, never mind. Sylvia will be here. Sylvia is ill, and she cannot join us. So I know we're going to get in trouble, but that's how we are this evening. So what I'd like to do, we have our three uh, fields to explore, uh, municipal, provincial, and federal. And I'd like, you know, Stephen is here, and not, not to buttonhole you, Stephen, but, so it's a general question, and I promise I won't name people for questions, but I'd like to start on municipal. So, the parkway is a bit like a hibernating bear, and it may be stirring from its winter slumber. In spite of an election of a Stop the Parkway City Council uh, last October, the parkway is very much uh, part of our official plan. So, should council be taking steps to remove the parkway once and for all? Or should the parkway project stay on the books? Is there any enthusiasm for finishing the southern portion from Consolidated Medical Drive? If the parkway is finally taken out of the official plan, what could the city do with the heretofore allocated funds? All good questions, Bill. And uh, <laughs> Well, thank you, Stephen. I, you know, really, this is stuff that keeps me up at night. Um, I know there's been discussion around council and at City Hall about the parkway and, um, you know, getting it out of the official plan. Uh, we've, we've run into a few stumbling blocks in getting there, such as the, uh, development charges that were collected and, of course, the question as to what to do. Um, there was a motion passed, uh, by council to look at alternatives and in a major traffic study to look at alternatives minus the parkway and see where we would get to. And, and you know, it's my, my position that taking the parkway out of the official plan will pretty much open some people's mind's eye to some realistic possibility as to what else we could do, including boundary adjustment as to where the city should go and what direction. Sean? I think, too, uh, when people talk about alternatives to the parkway, you know, to his credit, Mr. Smith, uh, down in Queen's Park, did follow through with something that was worked on through the county, which was uh, it was a rural transportation pilot project, and they were allocated one point five million dollars uh, to have a community bus running much in the way that Corth Lakes City of Corth Lakes does, but it was sort of started oh. out in Curve Lake, uh, and it was basically a shopping and transport from uh, the north part of the county. Uh, all the way down to Peterborough, a couple of loops, back down, and back and forth and back and forth all the day. And uh, when I was campaigning last year, uh, a lot of people talked about how are we going to get from the top of the city down to the bottom. My solution was always like, let's make investments in transportation, uh, in uh, public transit specifically, and things that are affordable for people. So there's a lot of possibility with not only that pilot project being going through, but also the announcement that the city's now eligible to apply for to a certain amount of a $66 million transportation uh, fund that's been set up. But uh, whether or not we get that or not, but there's definitely other things going on that can help with alternatives. Yeah, I think part of the problem of having 
this seven-year-old you know, parkway in the official plan has been that so many planning decisions have been made with that in mind, particularly under the Bennett administration, who were gung-ho to restart the project and gave rather dubious quick uh, approval to uh, a number of developments in the north end of the city and then turned around you know, because of the parkway and then turned around and said these developments now justify the parkway. Um, so we do have an issue with uh, a lot of population in the north end that do need some sort of egress out of the city. But we really always need to remember that the parkway is designed at a time when Peterborough was about a quarter of the size it is now, mm-hmm. much few, fewer cars on the road. And, and I've said this before, I really don't understand while planning, there's still people in the city who insist that Peterborough should really only have one major highway exit for, for a city this size. You go to Lindsay, there's several exits. You know, my, my family's from London, Ontario. There's five exits um, that off the highway. If you look at the Parkway Corridor as it exists now, Cumberland, which is part of the north end of the of the, um, you know, the, the right-of-way for the Parkway that connects up to the zoo, where it stops at Hilliard, it is a very short jump a jog basically onto County Road 19. Right. And that takes you straight out to Highway 7. So, um, you know, I feel like I've been a, a voice in the wilderness, the sidelines saying to people, why don't we get together with the province and with the federal government and look at rehabilitating or expanding our access off Highway 7. Anyone who lives in the West End does yes. not drive to the parkway. They go out Sherbrooke or they go out uh, Park Hill and they get onto Highway 7 and go out that way. Yeah. Um, so why don't we exploit that? It's a very easy way to run traffic up there because even if the parkway gets built, it's going to turn into a linear parking lot. Sim. You know, I agree 100%, uh, you know, with that comment because during campaigning, that was one of the uh, ideas I proposed. You know, the center line of Smith, uh, mm-hmm. Carnegie, is now become a major arterial road in the city. And, you know, even the widened center line of Smith, again, up to uh, County Road 4 over to County Road 19, would actually make a lot of sense because as we look at boundary adjustment as uh, commercial lands needed, that could be one of the corridors that gets developed for higher-end retail. Um, so so the natural progression is you've got all that road, so, you know, County Road 19. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, Tim, as far as uh, Lindsay Road. Yeah. yeah, Because then you yeah. can now start to create a grid for the city. You know, some of the roads that are already built, uh, roundabouts might only be the only workable solution for some of the interior roads in the city. But as far as correcting this thing with the parkway, yeah, all the way up uh, Shimong Road becomes a corridor that uh, you want to develop. County Road 19, Lindsay Road become your two uh, major arterial roads. Okay. We could spend... A long time on the parkway. But in the interest of a full coverage to maybe some of the people who got off easily or some of the sources of our our, our, our raucous examination last time, Doug Ford being one of them, let's move to provincial. Now, Doug Ford has declared his latest targets, health care, education. His cuts to autism funding did not go well, and now his plans for education are being closely examined. On Saturday, April 6th, teachers, students, and other education workers held one of the larger demonstrations in recent memory, seen at Queen's Park. Unofficial estimates estimates place the crowd at roughly 30,000. It wasn't a Ford Nation fan rally. On the education file, has Doug Ford bitten off more than he can chew? Well, yeah, but we should add some other things that came about in the budget. Three things that I'd like to talk about. Number one is a 30% overall cut to Legal Aid Ontario. The other being legislation that's in place and it will be tabled this week that will uh, make it 
pretty much impossible as a citizen to sue the government. I read that today. And the other being a year-over-year cut of 50% to Indigenous Affairs in Ontario. Now, there was a big chunk of money put into Indigenous Affairs last year that was destined for land claims, uh, settlements, and this, that, and the other thing. But it goes inside with what's happening in the Liberal government right now with the separation of INAC and getting into uh, the rights recognition Sorry, what, what, what's that acronym? I'm... INAC. Uh, what did, uh, Indian and Northern Indian Affairs? Indian and Northern Affairs Canada. Okay. Well, it was the 90s. It was the 90s, Bill. Sorry. I still call it INAC, and uh, I, I have no idea what the ministry no, is called now. But uh, anyways, so what's, what's happening is the federal government starting to download a lot of responsibilities uh, for First Nations people onto the provinces. And if we're seeing the provinces willing to cut funding at this year, we saw a 50% cut, but from uh, this year on to the next, we'll see about 10 to 15% cut uh, mm-hmm. again. And so that that's shifting priorities. And those are three things that I think we, we should acknowledge that we're in the budget alongside getting a pint at nine in the morning. <laughs> Indeed. There was enough in that budget that makes you want to start drinking so that you can forget about the fact that, uh, you know, the marginalized groups, particularly with the legal aid, because that one actually struck me as a a real significant concern. Because where uh, Ford has his populist vote or where the majority of his support came from in the GTA, you have a lot of marginalized, a lot of immigrant groups who are going to be affected by that, you know. Not knowing what the rights are, not being able to consult with a lawyer, whether it be on a family issue or a criminal file. Yeah, and even with you know landlord landlord tenant issues, you know they're kind of the front line. The legal aid centers, even you know Peterborough Peterborough District Legal Clinic, they they work a lot with landlord tenant law, and a lot of the time they're the only people that will come to somebody's aid who's having a problem with getting their security deposit back or this that and the other thing. Like these are really palpable changes that I don't think a lot of people are. Aware aware of how difficult it'll make things for people. I think they're I think you guys have done a very good job of enumerating, you know, the, the biggest concerns coming out of the budget and you know whenever every government no matter what stripe is going to do this they're going to throw a few things in here uh, to get everyone talking about it and certainly drinking at nine in the morning and the new license plates have done a very good job um, <laughs> with the, you know, because the you know, in, in this, this hyperactive media that we have, you know, it's just, they're just like kittens, you know, you just throw a ball on the floor, they'll go run and chase it. Um, and it works very effectively. The, the, the deeper issue is that we're seeing very clearly that this government really doesn't care. And that can be a, just an empty statement or heartless people, but they really are operating under the, the, you know, the guidelines that what the public think doesn't, doesn't matter. And that if we shamelessly stick to our guns, including shutting down legal recourse, uh, having all our MPs ridiculed for standing up and clapping and giving standing ovations or looking forlorn by gas tanks, um, <laughs> their, their calculation is that they can still carve out a re-election based on that, uh, that enough of the population uh, will be so dumbed down by this point with the white noise of our political discourse that you press the right buttons, you can get in. And the scary thing is they might be right. Yes. Now, are there any, is there anything, and you've already, well, I know the answer to this one. Of course, there are, there are items in the budget that affect us here in 
uh, Peterborough, but on a municipal level, are there things in the budget that uh, should be red flags for us? I know education, I know health care, legal aid, vulnerable people, yes. Are there specific things that are going to hit us? Well, well, one of the things that I I haven't seen in the budget addressed is um, public health and how public health is funded. Right. Uh, you know, there's a big talk about changing the structure of the lens and creating a super health agency. Right. You know, I sat through a budget process last year in, in city council that, um, you know, we had Peterborough Public Health come to the city and says, well, we need new money. We need a budget increase. And, you know, the suggestion then was, can we wait till after the provincial budget so that we get a greater understanding of the direction the province is going? But the legislation and the way it's structured is is that once they come to us for money at the municipal level, if we have to exhaust every dollar sitting in our reserve to top up their funding, that's what's going to have to happen. And this budget didn't really address that concern, which is a concern for municipalities the size of Peterborough. You know, we have no new industries coming to town. We have no new tax revenues coming. Um, so, you know, being able to find that money to fund health care, which should be a provincial responsibility, mm-hmm. makes it difficult at the municipal level and, and the property tax base shouldn't have to cover that. Right. Right. And two th- and uh, in, the same, in the same vein, I mean, two things. The changes uh, to senior coverage for dental care, which was, again, every government will do this. They'll take something, they'll spin it and promote it as an asset. It really actually waters down what had been put in previously by the Wynn government. Uh, what they're saying now is that uh, seniors with an income, I believe it's $19,300. If it's below that, they get free dental care. Uh, however, the services for that are being provided in, more in provincial clinics. You, you can't just go to your dentist and, and, and do it that way, which is actually where it was going. So they've removed that, which will put pressure onto our senior population in Peterborough. The other thing they're doing is, you know, and again, we've seen this strain. I don't know if it's because of the evangelical base that a lot of conservative parties have, but may, perhaps it's that. I, I don't know why. But they're going strongly after uh, safe injection sites and, and on the street sort of care and managing of our opioid crisis, which continues to grow. And they've taken a lot of money out of that. So that has an impact at the municipal level because the provincial government can scratch something off in, on the budget and hand it down to municipalities. But we're the people dealing with the um, mental health issues, with the health issues, and, and with, at times, the crime issues that go on and the as a consequence and, and, and the deaths in our city. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you know, we're we're in a... I hate to say the word unique, but we're in a unique position in Peterborough with the opioid crisis as it's very visible here. Yes. Uh, and, and there are problems in, in every community, but it's a really visible, visible thing that the community is dealing with. And the fact that they're, that the provincial government is at a point where they want to shut down six I think six were shut in the budget uh, where Peterborough has been lobbying for funding from the provincial government to get one for, I think, 10 years. Parn's been at that. And and it we know, we absolutely know, and the health minister has admitted that she knows that a safe injection site will save lives. It uh, lessens the burden on emergency rooms. Mm-hmm. Having having these sort of preventative care measures which come from a public health unit is is at the end of the day, it's better for the bottom line. And the more that we can take care of seniors' teeth, the more we can uh, put money into, you know, ideally a really good national pharmacare plan, this is going to reduce the burden on the health budget overall. And it's going to save a lot of money. Long term. 
yeah. long term and short term. Right. And, and if we learned anything from the, the deep cuts of the Harris years, you know, it's 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 very expensive to to build those services back up again. Mm-hmm. And it's also very convenient to sort of pass these things off as just, oh, if we had the money, but, you know, if we had, you know, we can't have unicorn policies and that. But things that have a direct impact. Cancer Care on the, Ontario. Cancer Care Ontario. Uh, the slashing of, of budgets for sexual assault uh, centers uh, across the province and the closing of them. And what's even worse is that the government has shown uh, a willingness to give no one any notice. Uh, I know it happened with the sexual assault centers. I'm sure it happened with a bunch of other places where they went along just thinking their funding may or may not come in and they kept spending money and then were told retroactively, no, you're actually not getting this year's funding. Uh, the panel before with uh, the people from the education unions were saying the same thing is that the government does not negotiate in good faith. But again, on a municipal level, what does that mean? All of the consequences of this are born in our communities. And at some point, we're going to have to start fixing it. And it will then be very, very expensive. Well, this is the puzzling thing to me. I mean, why um, why is our government doing these things that, from a business perspective, don't make sense? You, because, wouldn't, you wouldn't run a business like this. Because it's more important for them to make it look like they're going to balance a deficit in the budget than it is to provide care. No matter it's, how much it costs. It's more important to make it look like Doug Ford can say, I balanced the budget in Ontario. I promised, I delivered. Yeah, that's more important than anything. Now, social media lit up with uh, uncomplimentary posts requesting that Premier Ford volunteer to be the first patient to undergo a colonoscopy without sedation. Uh, this came up for discussion last week at the Garnet. Uh, now, how far will he be able to go with these? I mean, that, that, that's that's an example. Uh, what? How far can what go? <laughs> <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to get away with that. No, with this group. Uh, but with these healthcare, you know, to, to, to not be humorous about painful situations, but cancer care you mentioned. I mean, how far will that be able to be pushed with people who are hurting? Because, I mean, his base have the same issues all the rest of us have in terms of health. Well, I don't think, you know, he's actually consulted the right people because if you talk to, again, out of his base, three people on the street in Toronto and they say, well, these are great ideas, you know, you'd find quite a, a different opinion on them in the city. Um, so how far will he go? Maybe just three and a half years. And the really frightening thing is that, you know, we sometimes have these conversations and we kind of base it on a template of the way that politics used to work. You know, this idea that there eventually a government could be shamed to relinquish a, a policy that was hurting people or that when the next, you know, election came along, well, there would be heck to pay, you know, at the ballot box. And the political calculation has changed and it's, it's even changing rapidly right now where politics isn't about good policy. It isn't about building up things. It's about venting your grievance and your outrage. And the parties that harness that, and Doug Ford is masterful at harnessing people's personal grievance and positioning himself as the person who will address all their grievances and and he will choose the enemies and point them out to you, then he will somehow smite them. You know, something I thought about on the way in here today, and it may come out a couple more times, is I, I think it's time we 
actually really start talking about fascism. And I'm not talking about Nazism. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the demagoguery of a government that chooses part of the population uh, to blame as the reason why other people are upset and to pit different parts of it against each other and to harness an acquiescent media to amplify their message. This this is actually what's happening right now. And yes. I'm not saying it's early 20th century fascism, but we really need to pay attention to how this works and how much of it's happening right now. All right. Um, I'm just wondering how Ford's campaign, specifically against the carbon tax, is playing out. Now, on April 1st, his caucus dutifully drove their vehicles to gas pumps. We've already referenced that for their uh, promo selfies, declaring their resistance to increased f- fuel price. How is this playing out? Where does the public stand? And do most Ontarians believe that climate change is for real and that time has come for collective action? Hi, Bill. <laughs> well, I, I think the first thing you gotta, you gotta remember is that the carbon tax per, per, per fill up or per unit or whatever it is, uh, per liter, I believe. Four cents. Four cents. Yeah. The province of Ontario is taking 14%. Right. 14 cents. 14 cents. And so that money, that's the, that's, that was taxes that at, at one point was going to municipalities. Right. That's no longer the case. Right. And this whole, this whole hub of, you know, like I, I dislike Justin Trudeau just as much as the next guy. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, but. You know, a carbon pricing plan is okay, and I I think we need more, and I think we need we need to think about the future, and we ne- we got to think about a jobs guarantee, really. But carbon tax, not a bad thing. the The fact that we're fighting about something that is so minuscule, it's stupid. Hmm. That the that some small business owner is going to be charged ten thousand dollars a day if they don't put up a little progressive conservative party sticker on the gas pump is ridiculous, and it's stupid. <laughs> and I, you know what? Yeah. I would say that's not libel because it is stupid. Right. right. <laughs> All right. You heard it here first. <laughs> I'm going to share Sean's brain here on that one because you're right. You know, I think they try to take a page out of the book of the Taxpayers Federation with that the national gas tax campaign. I mean, that campaign had some legitimacy when they were talking about the taxes on tax paid for fuel. Yeah. That was a legitimate argument. Where they've gone now with the fill up and the shameless, uh, uh, selfie promotion. Uh, you know, when the, the Preston Man Institute comes out and says, listen guys, you, you can't run campaigns against carbon pricing because it is a reality. Climate change is a reality and you're going to have to start figuring out a way to address it. From the Reform Party. Exactly. From the, from the far right <laughs> comes some wisdom. Now, have you got the pronunciation right? Reform. Oh, yeah. Reform Party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we, right. we can't have this discussion without recognizing that one of the first things the Ford government did is cancel cap and trade. And Quebec now is dealing with, a couple, with a couple hundred million dollars of extra revenue from cap and trade. And what do they spend it on? Um, yeah. uh, so, anyway. <laughs> We, we we have to we have to be careful when we're talking politics to to always think further than the previous week. That is the rhythm of contemporary politics right now, and it's brilliantly exploited by a lot of people. Well, and so much keeps happening that it's very very easy to lose focus. Yeah. Well, on all those notes, uh, are we ready to move on to the feds? 
main show. All right. So, have all the shoes dropped in the SNC uh, Lavalin affair, or no. will we will we be talking about this crisis all? <laughs> Yeah. Summer. Sean's like, please, please, please. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. <laughs> I, I think we're we're beyond we're we're beyond the the issue itself. We're now into the 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 ballot question is, do you like Justin Trudeau? And that was his intent in the first place. I'm not talking about Judy Wilson Raybould, you know, unwillingness to to to, to listen to second opinions uh, about that. We don't need to go into into it. But that's the. That was the point of beginning. What do you do? You, you, in politics, you attack someone's strength and, and you try to take it away. Uh, so this has been spun into something. I mean, the whole hashtag fake feminist about Trudeau. Uh, now they're going after him and saying, you know, we, we, there was an NDP spokesman, uh, spokesperson on, on CBC recently saying that Trudeau is as bad as Trump when it comes to immigration. It's politics. It's what you do. And I've said before in this program, the liberals made a huge strategic error in trying to tie their brand too closely to Justin Trudeau because that was the target. And this, these attacks were obvious a long way away. I will say as a sentient thinking person, I, however, <laughs> am not going to spend this election uh, deciding whether it's a referendum on Justin Trudeau or not. Uh, my reaction to Justin Trudeau has always been a bit of a meh. Um, but I think there are larger questions at stake in the next election than whether I like Justin Trudeau or not. Indeed. Uh, what was the SNC-Lavalin affair again? <laughs> yeah, 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 right, right, right. Yeah. You know, the, the next election is going to be uh, – let's hope that they start putting real policy positions out there so that we can start talking about some – uh, very important issues and a national yes. pharmacare program. I mean, we, we need to get there. You know, our economy, all the key indicators for the economy is showing that we're in for a global recession within the next 18 months. Right. And, you know, we want to hear not only from the liberals, the conservatives and the NDP, well, what are the policy positions and how are we going to weather this next coming storm? Canada traditionally does pretty well during recessions, but we should start learning from that and that we can actually <laughs> be better off if there you know we are at the mercy of, of global market prices and and that's where we are right now uh but there there are things that we can do to prepare for that we can make investments in uh not necessarily in in natural resource extraction but we can start looking at uh how how can we become energy leaders again without contributing to uh you know flaming burning tornadoes and uh you know all the horrible things associated with climate change but there there's great possibility even out of peterborough here with green technology that's coming up there yes. there there are dudes working down the road who are making solar panels out of like you know it's you know it's like tin foil and you can wrap oh, anything in it in the and air. they float them up in the air right. like let's get some of that going like yeah. you, you know those guys need you know they, they have five hundred thousand dollars, and they'll put up a prototype for that, and then we'll, you know, one of those empty factories. We can get something going there, and we start selling energy again. You know, that was the. These are things that need to start happening. And, and I right. agree. And I agree with you. And that goes back to Stephen's point about actual policies. You know, and, and wouldn't it be nice? Would it be nice to have an election actually talked about policies? But you're absolutely right. right. This, if 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 you if you're looking ahead to the to the, on the economic curve, that is where the money is. It's a new green technology. The Obama administration recognized that. The wind government recognized that as well. There's much more that both of those governments could have done. But what's disturbing is that there actually was some momentum in that direction and it's fallen back. I, I, I will caution us, though, before we just 
you know, Sean, you mentioned about how we weathered the last couple of recessions. We got to be honest. We weathered the last recession because of oil, mm. because we were sure. a major oil producer. And whether or not you agree where you stand on the spectrum of environmentalism, Canadian oil, you know, bitumen from Alberta is losing market share and will continue. And it's got nothing to do with government policy. It has oh, to do with how it's extracted and how much it costs per barrel. And, and the Americans so, are and fracking. So we have, yeah. And, and, and so we have a really great challenges facing our economy yeah. over the next 10 years. That would be nice to have an adult conversation about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can all we can all hope and pray for uh, for a nice policy discussions in the election. I, I for one, am, am really looking forward to all of that, and especially as you know, it's it feels like it's been a while since I've been a spectator for an election, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that part. Wait, wait, you you, you you're not going to work on the election. <laughs> Well, he'll be working at home. (laughs) If anyone who's monitoring my career from the big office uh, know that I'm available, but yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want this question is going to be indistinct at best, but I'm wondering: Are uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould and Phil Pot sacrificial lambs on the altar of liberal election campaign? Or is there more information to be least, uh, to be released? In other words, are strings being pulled here? Uh, and I know, Tim, you and I had a brief conversation uh, last week or so. Um, who is pulling the strings here? In other words... Nobody uh, say Warren Kinsella. It's, I don't think it is. Really? No, I... Uh, we have a co-panelist who joins us here sometimes who is convinced that Warren Kinsella is pulling all the strings. But I think it was just bad all along. It was just bad communications. Bad, bad crisis PR. manager. And the job of opposition is to take that and use it. Right. And it's just an unfortunate situation for the government right now. Right. And uh, I think that – Really, we're beyond Jody Wilson-Raybould, Jane Philpott at the moment. We're beyond Katie Telford and Jerry Butts. Mm-hmm. And we're beyond Michael Wernick at the point. Like This comes back to whoever or however this situation has gotten to where it is for the federal government. The fact of the matter, the ballot question is going to be a referendum on Justin Trudeau. Right. Yeah, which I say again is really unfortunate. It um, is unfortunate. It, it really uh, – because there's much more at stake than whether we like Justin Trudeau or not. I No, I don't think Warren Kinsella is pulling the strings. Uh, however, the agency of Warren Kinsella and all of this and other trumped-up controversies against Trudeau, Gropergate, for God's sakes, and that uh, has been there. It, you know, for politicos, it's interesting to look at that geometry, to look at a, a strange former liberal operative who donates $1,000 to Doug Ford. Uh, you know, that's kind of inside baseball kind of interest but but you're absolutely right sean in terms of the larger questions um how much more is it i it's such a cliche but if the, you know if something jumped the shark it was when phil pot stood up in the house of commons and claimed that the government had broke the law and had she actually googled the law in question would have realized that she was wrong um yeah. although the national post ran with that as a headline the next of day of course <laughs> i think that the uh, that in reality the the second question that jane phil pot asked in the house as an independent would have been more Fitting with the allocation of federal funds for the evacuation and resettlement of Kashechuan First Nation. Oh, right. yes. yes. And, and really that was, I would say the high point of Jane Philpott's career is getting that funding allocated and 
my my fear is that Philpot is being punished, but they're using a community to, to do her. it. Yeah. Because, you know, speaking with uh, Leo Friday in Kashechuan this week, they're going ahead, credit cards in hand, and moving that community on Friday. Right. Yeah. Whether or not the federal government's going to pull through or not. Right. And, of course, then there's the hit that uh, the Liberals' putative uh, commitment to reconciliation has taken with all this. Um, as far as Trudeau's popularity goes, of course, he's taken a big hit. The Liberals are now 4.5% behind the Conservatives on the poll tracker, CBC. And uh, hatred for Trudeau is now a competitive sport in Alberta and much of the West. His visits are a boon for security personnel wanting over time. In terms of brand rehabilitation, what can he do? Or what does he have to do in order to uh, sort of ride tall on the saddle again? Or has the ship already sailed? The shift's pretty much already sailed. It, it, unfortunately, it is going to be a referendum on Trudeau's popularity. The argument that he's a feminist uh, supporter, it, that, that's failed. Yeah, you know, that's gone. Yeah. You know, the uh, the National Post article with Selena Chavez, I mean, just showed that all the, the, the women, most of them in the party, are somewhat frustrated, uh, whether they're not getting enough airtime with the prime minister or whatever it is, but I know his brand's taking a major hit, and right. they're going to have to run on some kind of policy to uh, motivate people now. Now, do we know why uh, she left, Chavez? You know, she, I was in Ottawa for Black History Month, and, right. uh, you know, it, it just seems like she was not interested in actually being there when the Prime Minister entered the room. You know, that congeniality that existed between the two of them, of them just wasn't there. I mean, they, we were, were pretty close at one point in time. It, something happened, something yeah. fell by the way, and you know, yeah. uh, one of the things, uh, you know, when you were an elected official, one of the things that, you know, you could get as good advice, stay the hell off social media. Oh, we said hell. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Can I just, uh, the, the thing about Trudeau's feminism, and I'm in no position to, to judge feminism, but let's recognize a slogan when we see it. And let's recognize at least that this government has done more for feminist causes than the previous government and probably what the, a new conservative government would bring in. You know, so... We, we need to rise above the hashtags. Uh, something yeah. something went down on a hum, on, in terms of management communications. You're absolutely right, Sean. Something happened. Um, there are also very prominent female members of the Liberal cabinet who have made it very clear they support Trudeau and they support his feminism. And again, you know, we're rendering that term basically meaningless the more we bat it around. But I just I want to push back on that just a, a little bit because that is that is the intent. That's the campaign right now is to attack Trudeau on his feminism. And I think like anyone who bursts on the political scene, you know, it happened to his father, right? And it happened to Brian Mulroney in the eighties, for gosh sakes. Yeah, you know, yeah, they they yeah. come on really strong. Everyone loves everything about them. They they ignore stuff. They they don't pay attention to stuff on the edges that maybe doesn't seem as much. They get in government for a couple of years, all of a sudden the warts and the cracks start to show. And Trudeau's feminism may not have been as uh thorough and as fulsome as originally promoted, but to suggest he's not a feminist, I think is is, is kind of pushing things and I think it's adopting the Conservative Party line to say that. Well, as a society, um, are we beginning to become a bit more aware of how all media, including social media, fight to shape our opinions? I mean, the, the, the hate Trudeau campaign. And 
I'm not saying there's not reason to be really disappointed with Justin Trudeau. But it's been relentless and, for the most part, successful over the past few months. Who's behind it? Who's funding it? How can we avoid being manipulated? And let me say, it could be hate Trudeau. It could be hate Jagmeet Singh. It's, it could be hate Andrew Scheer. How does this manipulation work and how can we be more sensitive to it? I think a lot of it stems from people feeling that they're not connected to people in power and people are feeling people are feeling like they're being left behind by policy right and you know we haven't seen a really comprehensive strategy to end child poverty in Canada sure. that's that was uh, that was a motion adopted in uh, November the 7th 1989 right and, and it was a millennial promise too. It was one of yes, them. it was. Yeah. And and there's been little action on that. There had now there have been things done, and this is something that Tim talks about. Is we have had things happen, but people aren't feeling helped. Yes. The purpose of government is to help. Yes. Other than that, what is the purpose of government? There is no further purpose. Then, you know, what do you want? We, we want a bunch of administrators that do nothing. Yeah. Well, let's have a government that actually works to help people to make, to level the playing field, to make sure everybody has access to the same sorts of things. Right. And, and I feel like people feel like they're being left behind. I was going to say, and I, sure. I think that's a legitimate emotion too. I, I think people it will always feel left behind because we live in a very unequal society. And again, Part of the blame rests with the sort of magical nature of the, how Trudeau promoted himself. There's a sense implied that he would wave a magic wand and everything would be better because the mean Mr. Harper was gone. Those expectations cannot possibly be met. The You mentioned before, Bill, about the polls. You know, if, if after all this, the best the conservatives do is be up four and a half points... You know, is is this a trend <laughs> or is this as good as it gets? And I'm yeah. not I'm not prepared to make a yeah. bet either way. Yeah. But that would be if I were conservative strategist in that timeline that I tried not to think about. Uh, I, would, I would, you know, I would look at those numbers and go, why aren't we doing better? Then you'd look at the forum poll that was released this afternoon that shows a much larger jump. It is conservatives, but, but, but you do have to look at all polls compared to previous polls. And Forum yeah, has yeah. traditionally been been yeah. very pro pro conservative. Oh, not pro conservative is wrong with putting it. They, they've been bullish on conservative chances. Right. Yeah, I, I think I think the CBC poll tracker is a good way to go. But I have also been uh, watching three thirty eight dot com. Oh, really? Which is another aggregate. It's very very. Same is it really? It's Eric Grenier, yeah. Oh, oh Eric Grenier. Okay. Oh, the, yeah, shout I, out to Eric Grenier, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That old calculator of his, he drags out every yeah, election yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Diesel-powered calculator. There are some uh, sticky things. Uh-oh. Racism and white nationalism are becoming part of the campaign lexicon. Sadly? Well, sadly or finally. I mean, it's always been there. At least on social media. Of course, these forces have always been there. Christia Freeland maintains that white supremacy is a problem in Canada, while the Conservatives seem to be downplaying the issue. But is the current level of awareness helpful or threatening to open debate and democracy? What's going on? Well, that, that's a doozy of one. And it's, it's funny, uh, I just came from... A film screening right. on the ninth floor, 
And what a night. Sir George. Opener. Yeah. Yeah, Sir George, Concordia, now, yeah. now Concordia University. Yeah. And what an eye-opener was with those students who accused one professor of his racist views and how that eventually uh, started to create policies around multiculturalism. And ironically enough, it was 68 that Diefenbaker plugged Lincoln Alexander to run as a conservative as well right. in, in light of that movement. Right. We're seeing a shift the other way around, which is rather disturbing because now we're pitting people against each other based on race and not so much on ethnicity. Right. Because, you know, you look in this group and if somebody were to look at all of us in here and say, well, can you identify our race um, other than skin color? Well, we, you wouldn't be able to identify the race. Can you right. identify ethnicity? Somewhat different of a conversation. Well, I maintained uh, just the other night discussion with uh, friends that when people these uh, when people when Canadians in public on social media or in a pub over a beer start talking about immigration what they're really wanting to talk about but can't say the word is race in other words and I made the suggestion I said look if all the immigrants had you know my Caucasian Irish Anglo pigmentation uh, you know Blonde, blue-eyed folks. There wouldn't be uh, who spoke English or French. There wouldn't be a fuss. But because now immigrants in Canada don't fit that profile, we're hearing all this immigration buzz, and I think it's for something else. Sorry, maybe I'm being over cynically. No, I mean it's cynical. You know. White nationalist racism has 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 always been there. Oh, and, you know, yeah. th- this isn't some new invention. It's just it's emboldened in its sense of legitimacy and how it's come out of the margins into the mainstream, right. where there are public figures talking about white birth rates, white genocide, uh, replacement. You know, yeah, th- yeah, these kinds of things, and and some of whom are tied in to some of the conservative parties. Didn't to say necessarily that Andrew Shear is a white nationalist, but. Is Georgina Burke working for him? Is Hamish Marshall? These are his inner circle or people who have peddled these theories in the past. Now, am and, I alone in, in being a bit, I guess, shocked is the word that the the uh, the denunciations aren't coming are more, aren't forthcoming more openly from no because conservative you don't you, you don't you don't want to piss off your base. And again, I'm not trying to say that every conservative voter is a racist whatsoever. Right. It is, however, become a very convenient block of votes that they can count on. So they do things like, we're going to wear yellow for the budget because of Vic Fidelli's ties. And if if you don't think there wasn't a double entendre about the, the Ontario PC showing up yeah, in, yeah, all dressed in yellow, yeah. it... There, I had a conversation with a friend yesterday, a quick anecdote, and we were talking about something else, and there was a particular establishment downtown, obviously not going to name it. <laughs> and I was saying how it's a place that I frequented for so many years, and I said, you know, I'm done with the place. I said the last two times I was there, I was shocked at how casually there was this anti-immigrant talk, you know, listening to, you know, a a man probably about 30 years old, you know, said the hipster downtown look explaining to his son that, you know, on the top of the heap were women and then there were immigrants and then there were white men. And then a second visit there, listening to an employee there, just casually talk about the immigrants today are so different than the immigrants in the past. To your point, past to your point, Bill. And I just, I was so disillusioned. You know, as a person who had such a romantic attachment to Hunter Street and all the yes. work in the last twenty-five years to turn that into a place to listen to that happening and realizing that it's just become so safe 
for people to indulge those thoughts, to find a very convenient mm. victim for whatever economic or social or personal anxiety they think, it's because of them. Again, that's always been there. We do have to recognize that it has been a half century since these voices have been given such a platform and have received such an enthusiastic reception. True. Well, you know, with the election of 45, a lot of those groups have become a lot more emboldened and, and, you know, have no qualms about being very outspoken about it. Now, you and said the election of 45. Number 45 down number south. 45. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we won't sorry. even bother giving him any so, credit here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, it, but, you know, I remember the time uh, even during that election, you mm-hmm. know, I people from even the racialized group saying, well, these immigrants are coming here and they're taking our jobs. And we think, all right, wait a second. Uh, you yeah. know, you look at the the country and you know, our pectoral it is, you know, from one end to the other end and realize that if our population isn't growing by naturalization, then our economy doesn't grow either. Right. So with an immigrant increase, in fact, the, the, the film, The 9-4, there was a brief clipping of the marketing that the, the federal government used to use back in the 60s to try and get uh, immigrants to come to Canada. Well, we're, we're also an aging population as well. Oh. Uh, you know, you look at, you know, we were talking about the, the provincial budget. The number of PSWs that are graduating from our colleges is not going to meet the required number that will be necessary as, as we age. Mm-hmm. So where are we going to get them from? That's the immigrant group. Again, growing your economy sure, sure. from outsiders. And, you know, more has to be done and more has to be said to counter that voice out there. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, they are a strong voice. Okay, another thing I just want to touch on quickly, if we can, is that more and more is being written about the possible influence of foreign actors in the federal election. Freeland, Christian Freeland, again, maintains that we have to be on high alert for these forces in social media. How concerned should we be? I mean, what, what forms might these influencers take in order to sway our voting behavior? And what's their end game? I mean, it is now we know about num- Donald Trump and all. <laughs> there are people in the studio chuckling. So, <laughs> well, you know, I we got rid of uh, Michael Ignatieff, and he was basically an American, so that was good. Um, nice guy, though. I I think I think a lot of a lot of things like like we talked about. We're talking about a global economy, and we're talking about social media. We're yeah. connected with the with the rest of the world, and uh, and and we're we're not as a society taking seriously the impacts of social media bingo now it, say some more this is this is how this is how this happens and and uh, actually i was listening in on the on the drive in i was listening to the program before this right. uh and talking about uh these you know stupid meme pages where where it's basically just creating a troll farm right you know, things like Ontario Proud, things like North 99, things like this, that, and the other thing. But they, they're, they're there to outrage people. And the job of modern politics, is, as, as Tim has pointed out in this program, is to capitalize and make sure outrage shows up at the polls. Who's funding it? It doesn't really cost anything to do this stuff. Right. Ontario Proud started in, you know, some basement in the beaches in Toronto. Right. And it's the it's the amplification, you know. So yes, Ontario Proud is is a nice homegrown propaganda outlet. For, foreign agents, you know, certainly not in the scale of the previous American election. What is what is the purpose behind it? The purpose is to do as much as possible to mess up Western democracies. And I'm not saying 
you know, how what's impact going to be in the Canadian election? I'm not sure, but it's had a massive impact on elections in Europe and the American election on the Brexit vote, where particularly Russian, uh, you know, foreign uh, agents. And what, again, it's not that they're always, although in the American election, they may have been creating the message. It's that they're recognizing these divisions. It's like someone's got a bruise, so they're sticking and they're constantly a bruise on a particular society or culture, and they're jabbing that bruise as much as possible to create mayhem. Like some hockey players. Like some hockey players to create to create mayhem and, yes. and cause, you know, look what's happening to the United States as a consequence mm-hmm. of electing 45 through actions like that. Yeah. They have become much less effective on the international stage. So you mentioned Russia. Who else is who? Who, who stands to benefit? You, you mentioned Putin and, and all the all? big global superstar mm-hmm. superpowers are going to be interested in in uh, not not only the Canadian election, but they're going to be interested in the American election. They're going to be interested in resource rich societies. China, China is going to be interested for sure. North Korea. North Korea, yeah. India. You know, I, I I have a check on these perceptions because I know a few Canadians who are living in Asia, one in Singapore. And when I started expressing my misgivings about Trudeau's decisions or lack of action, he said, give your head a shake. 95% of the world countries between you and me would give their right arms to have him as a leader and i said and, and this guy is not uh, a, a raging liberal by any sense but i thought that was uh, an interesting perception i, I know my my ndp friend here is not going to like bringing this up because it goes right against their their platform for the next campaign but in western democracies we're, we're running out of leaders that aren't to the right or to the far right and Trudeau is one of them. And there's Macron, who's a, he's a centrist for all the reasons that centrists are a little frustrating. But compared to most jurisdictions uh, in Europe, we've seen basic dictatorships emerge in places like Hungary. We're starting to see in Brazil. We've seen in Poland. Italy, Poland, Merkel's, Turkey. Merkel is going. And Merkel and reason Merkel is in trouble is because of the right flank of her party. And. So is there going to be foreign interference? The, the largest foreign interference in the next federal election is going to be American. Yeah. Uh, the ties between the conservative party, rebel media, and the Fox News noise machine. Right. Uh, Georgina Burke has ties uh, to... The um, Koch brothers? Well, the Koch brothers as much. I mean, the Koch brothers actually... This is too too nasty even for the Koch brothers a lot of times. I mean, they, they, they just want lower taxes and yeah, they yeah. want to be able to extract as much resources as possible. The really nuts sort of Bannon-esque, you know, white yeah. nationalists have infiltrated our the federal conservative party, actually much more in the provincial conservative party. Now, and there will be a great effort to dislodge Trudeau. I, I should apologize to the students who started off this afternoon, um, the environmentalists, because here we are almost out of time, and I'm asking this question last. Shame on me. More and more reports of environmental damage and climate change are popping up, and our governments are debating issues they used to ignore. Will green issues and climate change finally play a more visible role in the election compared to the past? Will our leaders do anything? Well, I think if we want to have an election about policy, we have to have uh, climate change be the only policy that we really want to deal with. We can we can impact yeah. income inequality, we can impact the economy, we can impact climate change, all in well, one swell, fell swoop. We need to completely revolutionize the way that we do business and we extract energy in this country. Right. We need to become a global leader in energy production. We need 
a universal jobs guarantee. Right. We need to get people back to work. If they want to work, we need to make sure that uh, we're going to be protecting the earth and the land that we're here, respecting the original people that were here. We need to be mm-hmm. able to move forward and we need to do it now because the earth and the climate will not wait for us to decide if we like Justin Trudeau or we like Andrew Scheer. Really what needs to happen is we need to drop yes. everything and get this done. Last word, gentlemen. <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 the environment is going to have to be, I can say, Sean, a significant issue in the next election. Now, I've, I've never been more attuned to the environment as I am now, you know, because you do grow up and, and you know, you, you kind of think, okay, well, you know, parents that worked in the manufacturing sector, you know, they, we, they paid the bills, you know, got yeah. the private school as a yeah. result. And, you know, I was reading a report recently that we have over 200,000 brown fields across this country. Yep. And, you know, if we are going to even create a major industry on environmental issue, that's one area in which where, you know, even Peterborough could become the specialist at Trent University on how do yep. you address those brown fields? You know, we've got GE's property right in the middle of the city. Uh, yep. uh, we've got property uh, by the Old Canoe Museum that is also contaminated. You know, it is an industry and it is a job creator for those that want to work. So the environment is going to have to be a significant issue in the next election. Okay, uh, quick last words. I just want to, I don't agree. I want to agree with both of them. It, 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 not because, and not just because of them, we got to do something about the environment. It is where the economy is moving. Yes. And it is incredibly frustrating to watch our leaders right now not recognize that 20, 30 years from now, this is where the job growth is going to be. This is where the economy is moving and we have to get on it. We were already behind. And we should have been doing this 30 years ago. Um, I, I recommend everyone to gear up and get ready for the federal election and knock on doors for your candidate because it's very, very important. Absolutely. And on that note, sh- thank you, uh, Stephen Wright, Tim Etherton, Sean Conway. And that's it for Pints and Politics. Bill. We are out of here and we'll be back in the spring when we get our new time slot. Here is Leonard Cohen and we are gone.